Can someone be confined to a prison, yet more free than the prison guard? Can someone be a slave and yet be more free than his master? And the answer that Christianity gives is yes. I'm part of a philosophy group, and once a month we read a book, and the book we read this month is The Death of Ivan Ilyich. And it's by a Russian Christian novelist philosopher. His name's Leo Tolstoy. And in our group this month, we had someone from Russia come, and she explained to us really what the premise of the book is. And that is that every culture will confine you. And the only way to escape that confinement is by death. In other words, we're all slaves and servants to the culture that we are in or the world that we are in, and the only way out is by death. And Christianity actually says that's true, only not the way that you would expect. The idea of Christianity is that by faith we have all already died and rose with Christ. In other words, you've already died and you've come alive again. And because that is true, it means nothing can hold you because you have nothing to lose. Everything has already been gained that you might gain. So the world, our culture, tries to grab you and tries to say, live this way, demands that you live this way as if you cannot escape from it. But as it tries to grab you, like a ghost It just passes right through you. And it's not that you are like a ghost. It's that you are made of something else. You're made of another world. You're more solid than what this culture in this world is. And so it simply passes through you. You're made of new things. Those who are enslaved, however, to this world will only bring others more into that enslavement. Because they're lonely and they don't want to be alone and they think they're doing right, yet they are not. But the motto of the Christian is, I will be a rebel to this world. I'm not falling into Republican or Democrat. I'm not falling into rich or poor. I'm not falling into this group or that group. I am of something completely different. I'm above it all. I'm a citizen of heaven living on earth. And I've got a greater thing to fight for, the freedom of my friends. To offer them something that nothing this world can give them. I heard a story about a group called the Moravians. It was a Christian group, and within this group, there were missionaries. And they actually sold themselves into slavery so that they might reach a group of people who have yet to be reached with Christianity. Now think about how free they are. So free that they are willing to enslave themselves so that they might buy the freedom of someone else by offering this news of Christianity that frees them. So we hear this and we want it. And it's available to every Christian. How? By what the Bible calls redemption. We're in this series called the gospel. And the word gospel literally translates as good news, great news, the greatest news you've ever heard. If it doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you are likely misunderstanding this news about the gospel. And it's news that makes winning the lottery seem like pennies. It's news that getting your dream job, well, 
that's nothing compared to the gospel. It almost seems as if you've been fired compared to the gospel. Even finding love, having children, is nothing compared to the gospel. Now, I know that may have sounded alarming, but watch this. So here's what the gospel does. It gives you a new way to see things. So at the same time, the gospel will make your success and your love heightened and lessened all at the same time. Because you are no longer controlled by success or by love. You are free. And now because you're free, you're actually able to love deeper and in more profound ways. And you're able to enjoy success more. And even failure, well, you can still see failure and see the beauty in it. It's like this. So we've been saying that the gospel is like a diamond. It's more than a diamond, but think of it as a diamond. So take light, shine it through a diamond, and it adds color. Add life. So when you take your successes, you take your love, and you shine it through the gospel lens or truth, it comes out on the other side and it adds color and life to it. Anything. The gospel changes the way you see everything. And the gospel is more than a diamond. The gospel is a whole diamond mine. And each week what we're doing is we're exploring this diamond mine And we're taking down one of the diamonds and looking at it. Each diamond is like a shard of Christ. Who he is, what he's done, and how he changes everything. And the diamond that we take down today is this diamond called redemption. To be set free. So let me read. We've got a a bunch of verses to read today. Let me just start off with these three. Romans 3, 24. It's half of it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then Hebrews 2.15. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All right, so the first point, we're going to say redemption defined. The word redemption means to ransom someone by paying the price for their freedom. So there's an exchange, there's a substitute that happens. There's the sinner who's in a prison and the sinless man comes and enters into the prison so that the sinner could go free. By faith that is what happens. But it's more than just that. There's more than just an exchange like that because by faith look 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 at this. When you become a Christian, there's a union that happens with you in Christ. And then by his already dying and rising, it means that you have now already died and rose. So you're free legally, like we said earlier, because the price has been paid for your freedom, but you're also freed to now really live. Because if you're free but not alive, you're still dead. But if you're made alive, well, now you're really living and now you're really free. More practically... Think of it like this. I said earlier that the one who has nothing to lose is really the one who is most free. But even greater than that, the one who has everything and it can't be lost, well, that person is most free. And the promise of Christianity is that by faith, we have Christ who is our great prize and treasure and he in the heavens has secured the riches of heaven for us. And none of it can be taken from you. You have nothing to lose. All has already been gained. 
That is the recipe of true freedom. In, our, in, a book, in, in the book of Hebrews, I read earlier that fear of death is what puts you in lifelong slavery. So this fear, and this fear that you're going to lose these things of heaven. But the promise of Christianity is it can't be lost. So there is no fear in life. Well, if you've joined yourself to Christ. So, even, so, so here's, if you're a Christian, here's where your problems start coming in. As the Galatians verse said, you take on again a yoke of slavery. You imprison yourself, though you've been set free. It's as if you open up the prison door and you enter in yourself and you lock yourself in. The world can try to take everything from you, but it will not win because you have something greater than the world can ever offer you. And here's the world. The world is negotiating with you. Give me you. Give me this of you and I'll give you that. But you don't fall for it because you have everything already in the heavenly places. So, life locks you in a prison. Casts you in a pit of despair. Handcuffs you to what normally would be an unhappy life. And you look at that life and you look at life and you laugh. Because you say, life, you don't know who I am. I'm a Christian. And I have been set free from all of this. There's nothing at all that you can take from me. My Savior and my Redeemer has stored it up in the heavens. And you're thinking right now that this is something that's offered to you in your future. And that's true. It's all coming in your future. But there's a bit of it that's coming now. And you have access to it now. And because that's true, you are free now. This does not mean... That life isn't hard. You all know that very well, that life is hard. Some of you know it more than others. But it does mean that no matter how hard your life is, it cannot take you down and it can't steal from you joy and peace and love if you are free. It doesn't mean you won't be physically poor. It means you will always be spiritually rich. It does not mean that sorrow won't find you. But it means joy always will. It doesn't mean that you will find earthly love. It means that there is a heavenly love that will satisfy your desperate need for earthly love. It means that you have found the thing that makes you fully alive no matter what your circumstance might be. In fact, it seems like the worst the circumstance for the Christian, the more free and alive they become. Now, how can that be? Well, think about it. We are prone to grasp to the things of this world. When this world does not give you what you want, you start reaching other places. You reach beyond this world. You reach up into the heavens. And when you do that, then you're grasping for Christ and all the riches that come with him. And so when the world does its worst to you, it actually brings out the best in you if you are free. In fact, the worst that the world can do to you, kill you, it makes you more alive. You know, Christ, he's called a man of sorrows. And on the surface, you see that deep sorrow. But underneath it all, there's a wellspring of joy. In fact, there's enough joy there to set a kingdom into laughter for all of eternity. And when he, on the cross, is pierced, that wellspring flows out 
to cover all the earth. And that joy is available to you and cannot be taken from you no matter what this world throws at you. That's your redemption. Now, how do you get that kind of freedom? Because you want it. How do you get it? You embrace the truths that I'm about to tell you like a nursing mother, like a nursing child embraces its mother. So, pucker up, here comes the truths. First, you have to see that you are redeemed from works and from sin. So, redeemed from works. What do I mean by that? It says redeemed from works of the law, or you are redeemed from the curse of the law. That's how Galatians put it. Now, let me, get, let me, let me make this very straight to you. The law is not what you're redeemed from. The law is good. The, the summary of the law is to love God and love others. You are redeemed from the curse of the law, meaning this, your inability to love as you ought, your inability to love God and others as you ought, curses you. You're set free from that. Your desperate need to prove to God that you are acceptable and lovable is remedied by redemption. And that actually frees you and redeems you to love, truly. Because here's the deal. Right now, outside of Christ, outside of freedom, you look at God and you say, oh, I, I don't think I've done good enough. And so you start doing all these good things. But in the back of your mind, you're doing them so that God will accept you. There's always a reason. You're, you're enslaved to that way of thinking. You can't help it. He's God, and he sees all. And so you're wondering how he feels about you. So you try to do good things so he'll love and accept you. And what redemption says is that no. He has lived a perfect life, given it to you, taken your sinful death and taken that from you. It's exchange. And so that means now, well, there's no amount of good things that you can do to make God love you more or less. You're free. And guess what that means? Now you can actually love. You get to do things because you want to, not because you have to. And that's what real love is. So in order to love, you have to first be set free. That's from works, from sin. You're set free from sin. You know, sin will cause some horrible guilt in your life. Whether you want to admit it or not, it is plaguing you. Look at what this says. Ephesians 1, 7. We have redemption... That is forgiveness of our trespasses. No guilt in life and no fear in death. And a lot of you, well, you're making the cross of Christ a vain thing. Now, the cross will never be, be in vain, but you're treating it as if it is. Here's what I mean. Christ purchased your life so that you will not feel guilt. He died for it. But you keep living a guilt life, a life that feels filled, filled with guilt. And so it's in vain that he's died for you. Although it hasn't, you're treating it as it has. And so you're living this life that is constantly swallowing you up in guilt, and you got to let that go because you're free from it. That's the promise. So you're free from guilt. You're also free from the power of sin. In Romans 6, it talks about sin having no dominion over us. You're free from it. All right. Think of it like this. Sin is your master. And every time you hear its voice, you go running to it. 
Sometimes you delightfully go running towards sin. Sometimes you don't want to go running towards it, but you can't help it. The lure of the voice of sin draws you in. And so sometimes the sin will thrill you, and sometimes you will hate that you're doing it, but you will still do it, or maybe the combination of the two. But here we are told we have been set free from that. It has no dominion over us. Now, I want to be straight with you. You will continue to sin through this life. So one, just chill out about it. But two, don't chill out about it because you have freedom from its dominion over you, so you have the ability to not sin. I know that's confusing. You'll figure it out maybe in 20 years from now or something. Sin doesn't have to be obeyed. The the prickly fingers of sin have been pried off of you by Christ and his work on the cross. And to build on this, also, this is our third point, you are redeemed from evil and Satan. Colossians 2.15 says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, this is so cool. So, the rulers and authorities... Well, this part isn't cool, are these probably fallen demonic figures that we like to pretend does, don't exist. You can cry out like that. So these bent creatures, we are told, are rulers and authorities. Now, here's the deal. These dark shadows following you all around, and they always seem to like to find their way in places of power and authority. This is why the saying goes, power corrupts. The problem is not the power. The, po- the problem is that we keep succumbing to these voices that keep on being whispered into our ears to grasp power and use it selfishly. But the most powerful person in the room is the one who's willing to give all of their power away. Because think about why people want power. They want power to make them feel like they're worthy, like they could be alive. And what we're told in Christ is that we're already alive and all of the worth that we can have ever potentially is all in him. And so our worth is there in him and we have life in him. And so we don't need the power. And so we can simply give it all away. And that makes that person more powerful than the power itself. Jesus will always be the most powerful person in the room. And he gave absolutely all of his power away on the cross. Do not think he could not have called a legion of angels to do away with all of his enemies. But he didn't. He he cast his power aside and let evil and death take him so that inside of death he can remove the chains of evil and death that were upon you. One of the greatest proofs that you are a Christian who is free is that you are willing to give all of your power away. And he redeemed us not just from evil, but Satan, our great foe. 1 John 5.19 says that while the Christian is now from God... The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is called the prince of this world. And his greatest power is to lie to you. He's the father of lies, the bender of truth, and the great trickster. And he's been doing the same thing from the beginning, lying the same way, like this. 
did God really tell you that if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die? He's holding out on you. He's scared you're going to really live. And so, the apple is eaten. Now watch, he bent the truth. They did not physically die in that moment, but spiritually, they lost everything. They lost their life, they lost their freedom, all of it. And we do the same thing. We fall for the same lie that our original parents fell for. Here's, the, here's, here's some examples of them. God is good and powerful? What? How can that be? Look at all the suffering in this world. If there is so much suffering, either God isn't good or he is not powerful. Because if there's suffering, he surely can't be both of those things. Really? Because what the Bible says is the reason that they're suffering is because we rebelled from God. We turned our backs on him. We did the thing that he told us not to do, and that brought suffering into the earth. But that's not the end of the story, because God said he's coming into the earth to suffer so that we might not suffer one day, so that he might redeem all suffering. Now, how in the world is the truth of Christianity bent to make us think that God can't be good and powerful because they're suffering? The truth got bent. Here's another one. How can, how, how can you say that there's a God if the Big Bang Theory is true? You know something fascinating? When this theory first came out, do you know who was scared of this theory? The, the atheist scientists, because they said, uh-oh, this is proof that Christianity, it's proof that the Christians were right. Somehow today, this theory has been bent to be proof that God isn't real. What? Or Christianity? Eh, it's just one religion among many. All of them will lead to the same place. How, how can that be true if every religion sounds so different? The only thing that sounds similar is every religion is talking about something that's unseen. Some religions aren't even. Buddhism is not really a religion. It's more of a philosophy. But they're not saying the same thing. And if they're not saying the same thing, well, then they can't all be true and lead to the same place. Don't take the yoke of lies because they will enslave you. And it's so easy to hear them and fall for them. I promise you it is. Here's what God has promised to do with those lies. Right in the beginning, Genesis 3, God says to this serpent that my son, my offspring, will crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Says that to the serpent. On the cross, Jesus is bit by the evil one. But there, inside of death, he stomps on the head of that serpent. And I didn't know this until just this week. Listen to this. Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay, wow. So, through union with Christ, you are able to take part in crushing the head of that lying worm who tricked you into death. 
the death that he lured us into, we will even be redeemed from that. This is our fourth point, redemption from death. Now, there is abundant life for you in the heavens, in paradise, waiting, but there's also abundant life for you now, and you have to realize that. And because that is true, the question becomes, why are you still a slave to fear and to death? And the reason is because you have forgotten the truth and fallen for the lies. And it's not just fear of death. It's fear that the things that you have here on this earth will somehow be taken from you. While you have all these great treasures stored up for you in heaven, you are so scared that these earthly things that will fade will be taken from you. You are. You're scared that your employer will take advantage of you. You're scared that your family, your friends will take advantage of you. Who cares? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. It doesn't matter because nothing can be taken from you that has been secured for you in Christ. So, you have nothing to fear. Not even death. And though this world that you live in now is filled with trials, and pain, and suffering, and loss, and heartbreak, you have redemption from that too. It's called the curse. This is our fifth point, redemption from the curse. So when sin happened, it laid then after that a blanket of this curse, a a suffocating, heavy blanket over all the earth. And what that means, what this curse means, is that you have lost the presence of God, you have lost the blessings of God, and you have lost the land of God. You've lost Eden. In Revelation, we are told, the curse will be lifted, and all the tears that you have will be wiped away, all pain Suffering and loss will somehow be redeemed, and death will be no more. The curse will be lifted. That's what awaits you. So don't fear death, and don't pity those who have died. Pity those who live without Christ, the one who's accomplished redemption. He is the truth that sets us free from the lies. He's the one who has come to ransom you. On the cross, he died so you might live. He became an orphan so you can get back to your true home. He was declared guilty so that you could be innocent. And he was cursed so that the curse that's upon you could be lifted. He ransomed you with his life as he laid it down. And all those coups back there, those are songs celebrating the glory of this truth. It's for real though, kind of. In a way, God has tricked the trickster. So here's what Satan said. Eat, eat, you will not die. You know what Jesus says? with his friends, eat and you will live. But it's not of the apple, it's of him. Meaning, give yourself over to him. Here's how he tricked the trickster. He went into death 
And he defeated death itself. He reversed death. He reversed the curse. He reversed guilt. He reversed shame. He reversed it all. And so now that makes actually what the trickster said true. Death will not hold you because it held him just for a moment, but it held him. And he broke through it so that you could break free. Now nothing can hold you. Guilt, shame, sin, heartbreak, loss, pain, suffering, the curse, evil, all of it, death. It's been defeated and it's done and you are free from it. Now, the art of the Christian life is learning to live free. Because you have it. Let's pray. Father, for freedom you have set us free. So help us to not take again a yoke of slavery, but live like people who are fully free, alive, with abundant life. And where we are tricked into thinking that death is too great for us, that the world is too great for us and we must obey it, I pray that you would give us the strength to be rebellious in the most beautiful way so that we might grasp for the things of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven, for the joy of heaven, and bring them now. Help us take hold of the things that can never be lost, so that when we lose the things here on the earth, we can simply shrug our shoulders, knowing that the good things can never be taken. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.